Hey everyone, welcome to Observations. Today's show is one that we have been building up to. This is uh, the perfect time for this subject and to really dig deep and expose uh, the fact that this is in fact and has been Marvel's secret playbook. The playbook with which that has helped transform Modern modern Marvel, Marvel in the modern years, I'll go back 20 years since the 2000s. That seems like it was a long time ago. It is, in fact, over 20 years ago, but it's 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 like it was yesterday to most, most of us who actually work in the comic book business. And that, the secret playbook, is the series that Marvel launched in 1976, 77, called What If? What If? And, uh... What if was their, I always call it, when I'm telling my friends, it was their Twilight Zone show. It was their, it was their show that, um, you know, w- w- proposed alternate realities, uh, al- alternate realities, alternate timelines of some of your favorite events that occurred in the Marvel Universe. In, in, in essence, it was, like I said, their Twilight Zone show and their character, the omniscient, omnipresent, the Watcher, a key character from the um, Marvel Cosmic Universe introduced in the Fantastic Four. He, the Watcher, had always frustrated everyone, no matter what store story that he appeared in, because he would not intervene. Sometimes he would give these ominous warnings, like he would to the Fantastic Four or others or the X Men, and yet he could not, in fact, uh, intervene in 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 these in these stories because he was sworn to only observe, only act as an observer. So what a perfect candidate, the Watcher, to be the host of this brand new series of comic books, which were double-sized. Here's the great, the great thing. What if comics were double-sized? They were, they were more than 22 pages, more than 17 pages. Sometimes you got a 30-plus page story. They cost a little more. You know, I don't necessarily know the brainchild of why this existed, but whoever created the what-if line of comics was a genius. This uh, hits in, again, 1977. I'm 10 years old. I am the perfect age for this. This series becomes ridiculously popular, and I base it on the fact that it not only had an, uh, had an extended original run, but it also then was revived multiple times, and each of those revivals seem to have gone very well. I have a personal history with What If that I'll get to towards the end because it's not you know, towards the, 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 the second volume of What If?, but again, what if his alternate timelines, divergent, you know, points of, of, of each character's story where something goes differently, sometimes tragically wrong, sometimes gloriously right, but it created an, an alternate version of whatever your favorite or popular Marvel story was. This, they always kept it very much in the, the, the very um, popular and well-known occurrences that they would kind of twist and alter to see, you know, give, give to a writer and an artist and see what they could play with and, and what they could come up with in, in, in terms of an engaging alternate version, alternate reality, alternate timeline. And we all know now that there is a What If cartoon, a, a show coming on Disney Plus that uh, so far I was at D23 in August of 2019 when they showed the uh, trailer on the big screen at the at the D23 uh uh, presentation with the giant, you know, 6,000 people audience. And we all, you know, gasped and it was amazing. The animation looked like a 
a step in, in, in a new bold direction in keeping with some of what they were doing with Into the Spider-Verse. And it was what if Peggy Carter was Captain America or had the shield or something like that. Look great. Looks cool. I am not going to uh, build upon any of that today. I have no idea what's coming in the What If animated series. I've heard a couple of titles, but what I'm here to tell you is that what started off in 1977 as a, you know, alternate Twilight Zone one-off every issue, a different what if. What if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four and they became the Fantastic Five? That is the launch issue. It's extremely well done. Every issue they tried to get a really good creative team. Um, and 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 there are several what I consider classics in, in this in this run, like like really amazing stories that make you think. And the best compliment you could give them is you wanted that story to actually be the alternate, to be the real ending and not just be the alternate. And and they achieved this very quickly with with some some like instant classics. But this book, as the 2000s dawned, and I'm going to tell you right now, here's where we're going to peel back the curtain. And this is so much fun. A few episodes back, I told you about derivatives and how there was a lockdown on um, really... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? There was a lockdown on on an excess. That's the word I'm looking for. An excess of new comic book characters at Marvel Comics in the 2000s. They wanted to limit because creating new characters created new creator ownership sharing problems that they really didn't want to be in. That's not the business they wanted to be in. They were coming out of bankruptcy. This three-year period where they had to re-align um, their finances. The, the company was sold. It was um, a semi-hostile turnover to the man who currently runs Marvel Comics, Ike Perlmutter. Uh, you know, when, 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 when they went into bankruptcy, Ron Perlman, who also owned a cosmetics line, uh, and that, that really had made his, his fortune, he owned Marvel. On the other end, coming out, Ike Perlmutter inherited Marvel Comics and the structure of the company, the finances, the approach, everything changed slightly. Maybe not to the naked eye. You know, they were still able to attract cool talent. They were able to, you know, make cool comics that excited you. But behind the scenes, there were some shifts. There were some changes. And so the derivatives was a perfect way to say, well, what's better than two Spider-Men? There's three Spider-Men and four Spider-Men. And, you know... Uh, you've seen it today. I I just got an alert today that my brand new giant Venom Pool sideshow statue is on its way. It should be here on Monday. Well, Venom Pool um, turns me on in a way that you have no idea. The combination of Venom and Deadpool into one Venom-looking dude that dresses like Deadpool and has swords and guns. That is a triumph of derivativeness, okay? It works. It's a it's a ball spike. Um in it's it's touchdown it's it's 20 touchdowns it's 200 touchdowns i dig venipool he is a great derivative but the derivatives whether it was red hulk as we've spoken of and um and and some of these others that we're going to see where they came from you're going to see that that the derivatives were actually uh you know many of these derivatives that you enjoyed starting from the 2000s on in some of these storylines some of them a couple of them in the 90s but all of them, many of them, are are keyed to the secret playbook that is the What If comic book series. This What If series 
is your secret playbook to how everything altered. You are not going to believe when you are done with this podcast how much has come out of this uh, alternate timeline comic book. Again, what if a series of, you know, every issue you didn't know what you were getting, and that's going to play really important here as we get down to this because a couple of these, you're going to turn the corner, you're going to walk into your local spinner rack, uh, you know, comic book spinner rack at the liquor store, the market, the the 7-Eleven, and you're not going to know what's coming. You've waited four weeks for a new issue of What If. There was no advertisement. There was no advance notice. Uh, maybe you got an, a blurb at the end of the issue, what's coming. Maybe you didn't. But in in, in in that world, the element of surprise was so much. And and we have absolutely lost that as, as everything must be completely transparent in order to get you to get excited and more importantly, to get the retailers to weigh in as much as the publisher wants them to weigh in to get those sales up. There is now this complete transparency, all access. Whereas back then, the guy who was ordering at 7-Eleven, he didn't need to know what was happening in the next issue of Thor. He just knew, I'm going to get, you know, 10 more issues of Thor to go along with the 10 issues of Thor that I get every month. And uh, it was up to us who picked that issue up to decide whether it was a great issue of Thor, a meh issue of Thor, a great new direction, you know, a fill-in. What, what, what quality was that? The bottom line is they were still ordering a full allotment of these books, and it wasn't until the dawn of the direct market that we had to start giving the catalogs and outlining so much uh, that, that there was very very little mystery and, and very, very very little opportunities to surprise you. So what if is a is a series based on surprising you that you never knew what surprise was coming? So what if number one, 1977? Uh, Spider-Man joins the FF. They had tangled early on in the actual Marvel Universe. Uh, this, this, It was a great issue because, just so you know, the top two Marvel comics in 1977 were Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four, Fantastic Four had an offshoot title with The Thing starring in Marvel 2-in-1. They had a reprint title called Marvel's Greatest Comics that was reprinting the Marvel comics that had come out in... 10 years prior, or maybe seven years prior, maybe not an entire decade past, but given that the that the book started in 1962, comics in 1967 were freshly packaged, sometimes with new covers, and put on the newsstand, sometimes to coincide with the brand new issue, so that you were, were not able to uh, escape the grip that the Fantastic Four had. Spider-Man is now the face of four comic books at Marvel Comics in 1977. There is amazing Spider-Man. They have just launched... Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, the sister companion dedicated book, 17 pages of solo Spider-Man, 17 pages of Amazing Spider-Man. I bought them both. They both had the same amount of Spider-Man in them, even though Peter Parker, comma, The Spectacular Spider-Man was supposed to be a little bit more on the Peter Parker end of things, maybe more delving into his um, personal life. That's how they sold it. But at the end of the day, you got Spider-Man on two covers. You got Spider-Man kicking ass, battling all of his cool rogues gallery, the single most, I think, effective, best rogues gallery in the history of comics. Let's fight. I, I, I believe I have the upper, upper ground here. I believe I have the higher ground, Anakin. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, he, also, Spider-Man had Marvel team up. Once a month, Spider-Man with Captain America, with Iron Man, with Thor, with Ghost Rider, with the Hulk, with the X-Men, the team-up book. Exactly the way that The Thing had his team-up book with Marvel 2-in-1. The Thing with, you know, Thor, with Cap, with Hulk, with Silver Surfer, okay? So then Spider-Man had Spidey 
Super Stories, which was the kid version of the book. It was distributed in the same spinner rack on the same spinner racks that these others were, but it was downgraded a little to be a more child-friendly, kid-friendly. It was like a step up from a coloring book, okay? And it was in an association with the electric company, which was a show that was on in the morning or in the afternoon, depending on where you lived. And it was a kid's variety show, and they always had a Spider-Man segment. Segment And this was sponsored by the electric company. But Spidey Super Stories, The Amazing Spider-Man, Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, and Marvel team up to go with Fantastic Four, Marvel's Greatest Heroes, and Marvel 2-in-1. And I left out that Spider-Man had his own reprint book at the same time, Marvel Tales, doing the same thing that Marvel's Greatest Comics was in that it was reprinting Spider-Man stories from 7 to 10 years back. So, five Spidey, ti- five Spidey titles three Fantastic Four titles, it was a natural that their first issue of What If would feature on the cover Spider-Man front and center with the FF rushing out behind him, past him, uh, below him, breaking through the cover, uh, which is a very popular trope. trope. Giant Size X-Men does the same. So many comics do the same when they're punching through and the tears on the cover are drawn in. So it's very 3D-esque. It's an eye-catcher. What if, number one, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? And in it, even Spider-Man says, what am I going to get paid? It's like, what if Peter Parker was so freaked out by being Spider-Man, the intent and the and, and the and the ire that was drawn by the Daily Bugle and J. Jonah James Jameson always hounding him and threatening to, you know, expose him. He goes legit joining up with Reed Richards and the gang, and they hold a press conference. They, in you know, they bring Spider-Man in, into the into the team. Spidey's thrilled. It gives him an air of legitimacy. He, again, he even asks, "Do I get paid?" And they're like, "No, you, you volunteer for this." And uh, they just battle everybody's villains. And you see the the different camaraderie and the different chemistry that would have come had he been part of this team. So it was a fun launch. It was, uh, you know, uh, you're going to hear these pages flipping. Because uh, because I went out and out in the garage and in my in my bookshelf I got What If Volume One Two Three Four Five Six Seven. They reprinted Volume One of What If. Uh, I don't know. I, I think they printed these. I'm not sure you can run out and buy these. Look at look for them on Amazon. This is my 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 preferred way to engage with the What If comics. The, these were uh, these were reprinted in. Here it is. Uh, what's what's the year that these 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 came out? Two thousand four. Two thousand four is when they reprinted all of these what ifs. Okay, guys. So uh, you know you can absolutely go out and try and catch them, or go to Comixology, or to go to Marvel Unlimited. They're they're available dig- digitally. The, these are very much worthwhile. Now. Early, so right out the get, right out the gate, we're 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 getting the playbook, okay? Because issue number one, Spider-Man and the FF, fun, you know, big splashy. But what do we do for what if number two? What if number two is the Hulk again, a now TV superstar from Marvel with Lou Ferrigno? So they they are gonna put their most popular characters in these books to get you to grab them because again, they're double sized, they're priced more. When comics are thirty cents, this is twenty cents more. You're paying fifty cents for a what if as opposed to thirty cents. For a regular Marvel comic. What if the Hulk had the brain of Bruce Banner? It supposes that when Banner is hit by the radiation and becomes the Hulk, that he retains his personality. And this is something that they do not do immediately following this. But in the 90s, who gets the consciousness of Bruce Banner? The Hulk shares now the consciousness of Bruce Banner with his Brutus Hulkish body, and it creates this incredibly new 
exciting strain of stories. That happens. That that becomes a giant tenant of the book for the better part of several years. And so you can look back and go, wow, what if kind of predicted this direction? Because at the time that this what if number two in 1977 is released, the Hulk is Hulk smash. Get out of way, puny General Ross. Okay. He is, uh, he is the mindless brute that you see on, on, on the CBS show where, where, you know, Lou Ferrigno, no, you know, in the comic books and in the cartoons, we saw Hulk talk on the show. They opted probably wisely to not have him talk and just grunt and throw file cabinets through walls. But the, uh, the Hulk having Bruce's intelligence made for a really cool yarn because it wasn't happening in the comics. And at that point, you've got somebody like a Reed Richards going, crap, the Hulk is as smart as me. It's it's like the Thing and, and the Hulk are, are one dude. You know, it, 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 I mean, the, the Thing, Reed is, 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 the, is, is his big brain and the, the, the Thing's brutish strength wrapped up into one guy. But it's great. Uh, this this adventurer finds them encountering Galactus and finds that 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 Reed and and Bruce as Hulk put their brains together now to come up with a different solution to defeat Galactus. I do not want to spoil these stories for you, other than to say that Bruce Banner's intelligence is in the Hulk. So you have an intelligent Hulk, which you weren't getting at the time. You hadn't gotten before. You didn't get for almost another decade, but you did get it and you can source it to. This is the first time you saw it. This is the first time you saw an extended adventure. What if the Hulk retained Bruce Banner's intelligence? What if the Hulk had the brain of Bruce Banner is the name of the book, okay? Now, I told you a couple of instant classics. What if number three is wildly considered by everyone in my generation to be like a great alternate Avengers annual storyline. It is brilliantly executed. It is written by Jim Shooter, the Avengers scribe of the moment. It is drawn by somebody who should have his face on the comic book Mount Rushmore, Gil Kane. He is no longer with us. He has passed. It is inked by Klaus Janssen, one of, if not the greatest inker slash embellisher in the history of comics. What he could do with a pen and ink and his own drawing abilities because he would go on, Klaus, to be his own penciling and inking force, uh, doing both Daredevil and Batman over the course of his career, stepping outside of the the, the uh, role of inker and embellisher. He, whenever he inked Gil Kane, the two of them combined to make like an uber artist. Gil's incredible an anatomy and figure work with the line work and the uh, and and the the finishing and the rendering. Oh, just looking at this right now of of, of Klaus Janssen is fantastic. But this, what if number three is what if the Avengers had never been? That's it. The cover is Iron Man looking as Thor, Giant Man, Wasp. And, the, and uh, I'll walk away from him. This is the original Avengers lineup from Avengers number one. And he says, Thor, Giant Man, Wasp, you can't quit now. Not while Hulk and Submariner, Submariner have united to destroy mankind. A tale of triumph and tragedy in the Titanic Marvel tradition. I'm going to say that again. A tale of triumph and tragedy in the Titanic Marvel tradition. So this supposes that at the end of the first issue of Avengers, that issue happened, that comic book occurred, and they all split up. They're like, we don't want to hang out. The Hulk left, and uh, as he did early on in the Avengers, and the rest of the team does not find a reason to, to hang around. So they, they're like, we're not bound by oath. Thor's like, I don't even know why I hang out with you guys. He flies away. Giant Man's like, I got other things to do. So Iron Man is left alone, except that Prince Namor steps into the picture, 
and he convinces Hulk to join him because early on in the Marvel Universe, especially at the time that this is all going down, Namor was partially a villain in the Marvel Universe. People people uh, treated him as as uh, as 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 he was he was almost. Um, a villain. I mean, at the time, he was actually starring in a comic book called Marvel Supervillain Team Up. So I think uh, they definitely had him on the more villainous end of things. He was constantly threatening the Avengers, the Defenders, you know, all the different the Fantastic Four. He was always having it out with the Fantastic Four. So he, he was always kind of on the sinister side of things. And so in this comic, he convinces the Hulk to team up with him and to threaten mankind. Well. What 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 it occurs to Iron Man that they are in over their heads now that that Submariner and the Hulk are going to team up and I'm just telling you the art in here is just beautiful, but here's what turned every kid my age just like wow our eyes bulged out of our heads. Iron Man invites back Hank Pym, uh, invites back uh, uh, Janet Van Dyne and Rick Jones, who was a sidekick character at the time. And he shows them that he has different armors for all of them. So while Iron Man is in the golden red armor, uh, Wasp gets a purple and magenta ar armor. Uh, Giant Man gets a blue and white or a blue, blue and silver armor. And Rick Jones gets a green uh, tinted armor. And I'm telling you, together they look rad. This is like the first time like there's a group of Iron Men. They power up. Iron Man goes in and jacks himself up with power. And they fly into conflict with the Hulk and Submariner, Prince Namor. And I'm going to tell you, it's really heavy on the action and the, and, and the emphasis on, on the conflict between Namor, Hulk, and the Iron Man, the, the, the Iron Man team. They call themselves the Iron Avengers. It is, as far as, a, as an amazing piece of artwork, it, it cannot be uh, di dis dismissed. And the fact that it was coming in this kind of one-off. And at the end... In order to sacrifice himself against Hulk and, uh, you know, Hulk and Namor, uh, you know, Tony Stark dies. But his uh, so I, I blew the ending of that to you. But he, but he leaves his armor to the Iron Avengers, who then will continue the tradition of what Stark had planned. Because again, Tony's heart is weak, and he overabsorbed his armor. But that is a standalone. It hasn't been adapted. I'm, I, things don't need to be adapted to be cool. But if you can get your hands on What If Number 3, you will not regret it. You will see shades of Daredevil's Frank Miller all over the place because Daredevil, uh, Frank Miller's biggest influence was Gil Kane. Klaus Janssen would go on to ink the entirety of Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. And if you do not see that Frank, that Gil Kane is semi-kind of Frank Miller's daddy, especially on the Daredevil run, because Frank... Uh, was following Gil on Daredevil and he almost took like everything that Gil did and then brought his own cinematic storytelling but the figure work that, that, that that's what Gil Kane was was known for and I'm telling you the action alone it was a this is a pure action driven issue of what if but it was as good as any Avengers comic I'd ever read it holds up to this day but so in keeping with the Hulk and and him having the big brain and, and, and a storyline that would go on to define a, a really exciting era in, later on in Hulk's um, in, 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 in Hulk's own dedicated run from Marvel. We have what if number five. I'm just skipping ahead now. What if Captain America hadn't vanished during World War II? This supposes that Cap and Bucky never get into the conflict where the rocket 
shoots off and kills Bucky and crashes Cap into the ice, okay? There is no plane accident. There is no... Um, it all happens in a different way. Cap and Bucky survive the conflict and they grow old together. And by the time it's the mid-60s, Cap is still fighting as Captain America. Bucky is his dedicated... Uh, Ricky Barnes is his dedicated sidekick. But at one point, uh, Cap decides that he is going to cede the identity of Captain America. And this is because Bucky Barnes asks him. says, Cap, I understand your your age has been, you know, the age retardant of the super serum keeping you younger is is, is going to continue to work for you. But but I'm I'm in the right condition to now play Captain America. I don't have your strength, but I think I'm the guy to pick up the mantle. And Rick Jones, again, career-long sidekick, whether it's Captain America book, whether it's the Avengers, whether it's Captain Marvel, or whether it's the Hulk, Rick Jones always found himself into some, you know, story or some sidekick role in so many of the different Marvel comics. Rick Jones becomes the new Bucky as Bucky becomes Captain America, takes up the shield. Well, where do you think that's happening? That's happening like right now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it eventually happens in the Captain America comic. And what does Steve become? Because Nick Fury dies. This is so cool. Steve Rogers, what if number five, what if Captain America, you know, uh, hadn't vanished during World War II? So there is no block of ice. He's not resurrected by the Eskimos. There's no, you know, Prince Namor tossing him back into the ocean for the Avengers to find him. He literally continues his career past World War II, becomes, uh, when, when requested by Bucky Barnes to become Captain America, he steps down. And in fact, what Steve Rogers, looking very much like Robert Redford, George Tuska, who is a classic silver and bronze age artist, penciled and inked this issue. Uh, he draws him very much like Robert Redford. When when we turn the page, where it says, "Well, what now that now that you know Bucky Barnes has has become Captain America, and they show him stepping out with Rick Jones now as Bucky." Well, what happens to Steve? Well, he becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Steve Rogers, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., fighting alongside Sharon Carter, Dum Dum Dugan, as they now uncover the threat of HYDRA. Because the Nazis are gone, the Russians become the new threat in the 60s to Bucky and Cap, and then Cap gives the identity over to Bucky, he becomes the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then the, the Bucky Barnes, Captain America, and Rick Jones, Bucky, uh, find themselves fighting alongside Steve Rogers, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., who, again, looks exactly like Robert Redford in the 70s. And and they all team up to battle Baron Zemo, who is continuing his evil campaign now as the guy who has um, single-handedly behind the, the the rise of Hydra, okay? So so this story, does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar that, 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 that Bucky Barnes would pick up the S.H.I.E.L.D.? And become Cap? Because, yeah, that happened in 1977 in this one shot. What if Captain America hadn't vanished during World War II? Another classic, instant classic. It's great throughout. George Tuska does an amazing job drawing Don Glutt, who is a popular um, novelist as well as comic book writer at the time. Don Glutt writes it. George Tuska pencils and inks it. And it gives us an alternative where Cap never dies at World War II. Uh, Bucky and the gang... Um, go forward. I don't want to ruin the twist ending, except, you know, I, I just don't want to spoil every ending in these books. I want you to get them. I want you to love them and read them and dig them the same way I did. But the, the premise here that Cap grows old, Bucky is alive, they battle Russians, and then they battle Hydra, and the mantle is passed. 
when Cap says, I am going to give you the shield. I'm going to let you carry this on. You guys, does this somewhat sound familiar? Okay. This, because what if is this top secret playbook? This 1977 series is fueling Marvel as we speak. This is where all the good stuff is. Um, later on, they would do What If the Fantastic Four Got Different Powers. It's really fun stuff. It's one of my favorite issues. Um, I, 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 honestly, What If Six is is literally one of my favorites of all time. All the Fantastic Four, it shows that when bombarded with the radiation, they are hit with different uh, powers. And it's right there on the cover. And as, as the existing Fantastic Four, to, so you understand it, battles the, the 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 version of themselves that got different powers. So it's just saying, what if the Fantastic Four had had different superpowers? And I I totally dug it. This is such a great comic book. It uh I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. So so again, these these collections, if you can get them, you can go on Amazon, eBay, maybe your comic store um has copies from 2004. But you guys, the playbook continues, and and in and and we're gonna get really. Pull, pull it back even further here because this this stuff gets crazy. You're going to be like, say what? Um, so what if a lot of Spider-Man issues, they definitely wanted you to, 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 to jam on, on, on this comic and to buy Spider-Man ver- issues by, by, by these comics because Spider-Man's on the cover. But we, uh, we arrive later on at what if number nine, and this is one of my favorites, got a Jack Kirby cover, another Don Glut. G-L-U-T script, Alan Kupperberg, Bill Black, two really capable artists, a lot of dynamic imagery in here. And it says, what if the Avengers had formed during the 1950s, okay? Well, that's cool. As a kid, I remember grabbing this and going, okay. Marvel was just starting to publish the Avengers of 3D Man, which was an older character, and they've revived him, and they now retroactively placed him alongside these other 50s characters. And... uh, Marvel Boy, who they had just restored in the Fantastic Four, brought him back, made him the Crusader for a few issues, and then he became Quasar. Okay, the the uh, they in, in the fifties when he was first introduced into the comic scene, he really did exist in a comic book called Marvel Boy. Well, now they are bringing Marvel Boy back into the present in the seventies, but in this nineteen seventy eight comic, what if the Avengers had formed during the nineteen fifties? You've got all of the 50s Marvel characters. Gorilla Man, yes, they call him Gorilla Man. He's leaping at you. He is leaving, leaping over the human robot. The, the charge is being led by the 3D Man, by Quasar, and by Venus. And this is a really cool look back that, that tells a story of a group of superheroes um, and, uh, uh, that form in the 50s and become the core of what they call themselves the Avengers. And there's spotlights of Namor, Namorita. You've got all sorts of glimpses to Marvel's 1950s past. The Watcher is, as always, you know, narrating this for you. But we essentially, it's a, it's a real simple gimme. These 1950s characters come together uh, almost 15 years prior to when the Avengers were formed. And they become the first modern-day Avengers and have these adventures. And they're a, they're a dynamic team. And they look cool. And guess what? They look so cool that 30 years later, Marvel would in fact take this exact, and when I mean exact, I mean exact, uh, (laughs) exact lineup, and they would call them Agents of Atlas. Agents of Atlas, okay? And they would launch this comic book in 2006. And the premise is that it is the bringing together of a bunch of Marvel 
heroes in the 1950s, okay? So so what started in 1978 with the 1950s Avengers, they have now called them the Agents of Atlas. And in the Agents of Atlas are several of the characters that we saw. Gorilla Man, um, Venus, okay? <laughs> I mean, 3D Man. So, 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 so is the first appearance of the Agents of Atlas, what if... Number nine, yes, it is. 100%. A alternate reality, what if the Avengers were in the 50s, becomes in 2006 a new book that Marvel invested heavily in called Agents of Atlas. Namorita is in there. They've expanded it, obviously, and built out more characters. But 100%, the idea, the conception uh, of this is is in this what-if book. And, and uh, I mean, again, Gorilla Man, Robot Man... Uh, or the human robot Venus, 3D Man, they're all there. They're all continuing what was started here. And it, again, you guys, you cannot convince me that, you know, hey, what what other characters do we have? We're Marvel. We're not doing no, no more no more Darkhawk, no more Sleepwalker, no no new cables, no Deadpools, no Venoms. We're gonna dial that down. We don't wanna, we don't, we we basically we have a treasure trove. We're not exploiting this other stuff that we have. And some guy is in like, I'm not gonna say the basement. But, but some other, you know, office that is looking through these what-ifs and saying, hey, uh, let me write this down. Uh, uh, Avengers in the 50s, we could do a whole spinoff and actually call them Agents of Atlas without compromising the Avengers origin, which is now canon. They've really leaned in hard to it at this time. Let's get a spinoff. Let's take this concept from this what-if, literally using it as a, as a diagram and make Agents of Atlas. So, and, and on the what-if classic collection of number two, uh, the, the What If Classic Volume 2 collection. Now, did this come out in 2004? I'm, I'm going I'm to double check that because this, this actually plays into what I'm saying. The cover of this What If Classics is the Jack Kirby cover with the agents, of the, the Avengers of the 50s running right towards you, okay? So, nope, this is 2005 and, and Agents of Atlas is 2006. Feels like they're getting you ready on this trade paperback for what is to come with the Agents of Atlas, which is the now canonized version of this what-if story. And I'm telling you, I loved this what-if story. I loved prequel stories. I loved mining the, uh, the the history of Marvel to put these stories together in this what-if scenario. Again, w Watcher, um, Watcher ends the story. Watcher opens the story. He always supposes that this is what could have been and, and, and how it would have affected Marvel history and takes you along on this cool ride. And uh, I mean, the first, the first, Pages, I am the Watcher. This is Avengers Mansion, headquarters of Earth's mightiest heroes. And Iron Man is the one that says, that says to his team of Cap and Beast and Vision and Thor, what if I tell you guys that the Avengers had been formed in the 1950s? And then they like, let's look to the screen and see if this did happen. It was like this, they'd uncovered the secret history. So really, the, the, the seeds of this are firmly planted here in order for Marvel to exploit in the 2000s. Um, so they don't even have to derivative this stuff. But guys, here's the big one. I'm not sure we're going to get a bigger bigger one than this. What if number 10? Okay, I'm sure I haven't checked. I'm sure this is already a very well sought after book. What if number 10? What if Jane Foster had found the hammer of Thor? Great Jumbie Semi cover. And it's got an inset panel of Thor saying, by the sacred beard of Odin. And, and a beautiful female Thor swinging her hammer saying, don't worry, your golden locks about me, Thunder God. Thordis 
can take care of herself. And the and the blurb says, the wildest, most wondrous what if we've done yet. And whale you lay eyes on the startling shock ending. So this, once again, introduced by the watcher who's giving us our Twilight Zone uh, scenario, drawn by Rick Hoberg, dedicated what if writer now, Don Glutt, tells of a story where Don Blake and Jane Foster get lost out in the woods. They see an alien landing of these, uh, you know, rock creature aliens. They they run for help. Don Blake slips and falls. His cane falls over the cliff. Jane Foster boldly decides to go after it because Don Blake was, was lame in his one leg and he needed the, the cane. And in the dedicated scenario for those guys who don't understand that in the Marvel that, that prior to the Marvel Cinematic Universe changing it in the Marvel Comics world Don Blake human found Thor's hammer at which it was able to transform him by tapping it he was worthy so he embodied the body of Thor they shared they, they body swapped much the same way Shazam Billy Batson and Captain Marvel do and that's how they did it for almost 30 years. And now it's changed because the movie changed it. And and the movie, it changed it slightly before that. And Walt Simonson's run, he downgraded the Don Blake uh, character. But they, they've really leaned into it since then. And now it's it's Don Blake is really kind of, even though he's back in some recent issues of Thor, and they've done a really cool twist on him and kind of made him a little more sinister, we have said goodbye to Don Blake for, for the better part of, of 30, almost 35 plus years. So in this scenario... Jane Foster goes after the cane, but then she is way too down the ravine, can't get back up, sees a cave, goes into the cave to see if there's an, a way out. While she is in the cave, an entrance opens, and there's another walking stick because the cane that she attempts to get falls over the embankment and is un she's unable to retrieve it. But there on a rock platform is another like long wooden rod and she says, well, maybe I have use for this. And maybe I can pry this rock with this powerful wooden rod. Well, she smacks the rod against the rock, much the same way Moses did in the Bible. Very biblical here. Because Moses got pissed off and he and he took his rod and he, and he smashed the rock. And he actually ends up getting punished for it in the biblical times. But here, the smashing of the, of the large uh, walking stick, primitive wooden rod against the rock creates a lightning uh, charge that transforms Jane Foster. Splash page, beautiful, by the way, of Thordis, okay? The celestial light gradually fades. The formerly mortal nurse begins to realize, I am not dreaming. This stick, it's changed to some sort of hammer. And 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 I, I have somehow been transformed into whom? Or what? Good grief, my hair. It's blonde because she's brunette, short hair. When, when she's wandering down in this cave trying to look to get out. My, my, my hair seems golden like spun gold. My clothes have been replaced by this costume. This is impossible. And she reads the inscription on the hammer and it says, whosoever holds this hammer, if they be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. She then says, I've got Thor's power now. I'm not really Jane Foster, so maybe I should call myself something else. I remember from nursing school a Norwegian girl named Thordis. That has a nice ring to it. All right, then, that is what I will call myself. I will be Thordis. She lifts the stone that is keeping her from exiting the cave, the, the same stone she struck with the rod when she couldn't pry it open. She removes the stone, flies up into the air, saves Don Blake, defeats the rock aliens from the flying saucer, summons thunder from the sky, and uh, 
then immediately taps the rod and, and returns to being Jane Foster. This, friends, in 1978 is the first time, 1978, the first time Jane Foster picked up the, ha picked up the hammer of Thor and became the female Thor. And this is just getting cooking. Okay, the rest of this issue, Loki is pissed off. He's been spying in his astral form. Um, she once again activates herself as Thor. Uh, to, to, to fight crime. Loki intervenes. He confronts her. He says, you shouldn't have this. This doesn't belong to you. They um, uh, go to the halls of Asgard where Odin, um, you know, is kind of shocked to believe that, 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 that Thor's hammer is now wielded by this woman. Um, she has to stand before Odin and, and make her, her case. He challenges on whether she is worthy and, uh, and, and, and and basically says, this was not intended for you. Uh, the Warriors Three of Fandral, Volstag, they, 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 uh, they, they, they attempt to challenge her in battle, but she tosses them aside, showing her might as Thor. And then Odin banishes her back to Earth, where he has to like admit, as he watches her take on this entire, um, you know, uh, Thor group of villains that bat he battled, I mean, Thor's rogues gallery, whether it's Radioactive Man, Lava Man, uh, Cobra, uh, 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 Mr. Hyde, and then she gets a request to join the Avengers. Odin is up in his, in his, in his, in Asgard looking down at her and he says, do you see this lady Sif? Thor just valiantly vanquishes the Tomorrow Man. Truly, she doth wield the power of Thor. Um, her godly prowess troubles me. So he sends Sif down to interact because Odin believes very much so that Don Blake was intended to find that rod, not, not, uh, not Jane Foster. And and so then we get this cool thing where where Lady Sif has appeared as if she's drowning. So so Don Blake will save her to catch his eye to kind of get this romance going. Loki then attacks them in the streets of New York City. Don Blake acts courageously, physically attacks, lunging himself as Don Blake. He's a doctor, battles Loki. Um, he's getting slammed around. Thordis arrives, confronts Loki, and uh, and they believe that the fact that the hammer is in the hands of Thordis is going to summon uh, Ragnarok. But she is able to uh, to to battle off the uh, the Ragnarok insurrection, and Odin. She eventually gives the hammer back. And uh, and 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 Don Blake is shocked to to realize that that this in fact that that she is uh, you know that that Thordis was Jane Foster all along the nurse that worked alongside of him. Odin in return uh, turns her into a goddess and marries her, and that's the end of the story. Jane Foster marries Odin. She gives up the identity of Thordis, which she is totally effective at. We see her kick everyone's ass throughout this book, and it, it is one of my favorites. Uh, Rick Hoberg's art in this book is beautiful. Everything that I described to you is drawn beautifully. I jammed through like 30, 35 pages. But this is the first time that Jane Foster picks up the Hammer of Thor. This would happen again in modern day 2000s Thor, okay? And we now have Natalie Portman, you know, on stage at in Hall H at San Diego Comic-Con at the big Marvel presentation in 2019 being presented the Hammer by Chris Hemsworth himself with Kevin Feige standing alongside and, and Natalie uh, Natalie Portman as is returning as Jane Foster in Taika Waititi's new follow-up to, uh, is it Love and Thunder? 
and 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 the, the Thor four, we'll just call it Thor four, where she will in fact on screen transform herself and have Thor's powers. We don't know the exact uh, you know ramifications of all that, but where did it start? Where did where did Jane Foster pick up the hammer of Thor? She picked up the hammer of Thor in What If, and and has been now for the better part of a decade going back and forth as the wielder of the hammer of Thor. Now, uh, whether it was Jason's Jason Aaron. Straczynski, I don't have it in front of me. I'm not going to source this with any sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, authority. But 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 in the Thor comics, I, I've seen images of Jane Foster as Thor with her new dynamic armor that they just they they put her in, which is not exactly the same look that she had in this What If. But nonetheless, Jane Foster wields the hammer of Thor, and is illustrated by Olivier Coipel on so many covers. I see all the imagery; it all kind of jams together for me. But when I saw it. Uh, it, it immediately sparked. Holy crap. Because I'm going to tell you right now, this What If number 10, I bought at Foodland on the corner of Ball and Euclid. And it's one of those times when I read it on the way home, stopped on the curb. This uh, that, that was about four blocks from my house. And I took my own sweet time on the most beautiful afternoon because I couldn't believe What If had a female Thor. Because that's what stands out to you on this cover. Thor, who is always has been masculine up, at that, up until that point in all of my comic book collecting. And he was a top five Marvel character for me. When he appeared in the Avengers, those issues were better to me. They were they were the, 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 my favorite issues of the Avengers. I actually liked him in the Avengers more than I liked him in his own title. And I loved him in his own title. But seeing Thor as a woman, Jane Foster had found the Hammer of Thor. Holy crikey, right? I mean, this between Agents of Atlas, the, the Avengers in the 50s, um... What if what if Cap, you know, had never gone to sleep in the ice? What if he continued to be Captain America and never vanished? I mean, these became the template of the modern Marvel universe. There is, as we get deeper into this run, okay, uh, you, you you as we get deeper into this run, there is a. Uh, there is a great story about what if Spider-Man's clone had lived. There was a clone story in the 70s in the Spider-Man comic. And in this what if, they propose that what if, you know, what if Spider-Man's clone had not vanished but had lived? Well, that is the subject of an entire 90s crossover called The Clone Wars, where, where the clone had lived. And he created complete havoc and chaos, okay, in... Uh, in Spider-Man's life, and that is another story that is sourced in this alternate reality, alternate timeline comic, which is, you know, what if? This book is brilliant. It became the basis of so much that Marvel would go on and exploit in the and become canon. What if number 30? What if number 30? It's 1981. What if Spider-Man's clone had lived? And, and, and in this, the clone traps Parker and becomes the real Peter Parker. You'll never escape this cryonic, cryogenic tube. The world's not big enough for two Spider-Man. You may be the real thing, but I'm taking over. And 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 in this story, uh, we investigate in 1981 the alternative alternative idea that 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 the clone was not vanquished. And this is a good 15, 14 years before the Clone Wars. They give you kind of the template of what you'll go on and read in the Clone Wars, okay? There's a great one about what if Wolverine killed the Hulk, but but before again, I, I sign off. That Clone Wars thing, that came back to be rich. I mean, there was two Spider-Mans in the 90s because they adopted this Clone War uh, uh, idea that, that, that Spider-Man, 
you know, that the clone lived and it, and it created all sorts of crazy um, chaos and, and, and new conflict for, for, uh, for Spider-Man. Uh, some of the, some of these what ifs are just great on their own. Um, one of my favorites here is what if number forty, drawn by uh, an artist named Butch Geist. He would change his name to Jackson Geist, but it is credited here and as it was for many years in the eighties as Butch Geist. It is what if Doctor Strange had become, had I'm sorry, had never become the master of the mystic arts. In this, Baron Mordo gets the nod instead, and Stephen Strange is not elevated in the way that we are familiar. Um, I mean, these are really, I never missed an issue of What If with good reason because they were phenomenally entertaining, always giving a, a, an alternate um, reality that, that, that was very compelling to me. You know, they don't let the Captain America thing die either. They're like the, 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 the thread. They, they, they come back to it. In, in What If number 44, What If Cap was revived today? And that in the today of this publication is 1982. So what if Captain America was not found in the 60s in a submarine by the by, by, by the Avengers. But what if he was, you know, awakened in the 80s? You know, it gave a, a fun twist about how he would have been adopted and things would have been different and how society would have viewed Cap differently had he been, you know, awakened in this modern era of the 80s when this book was being published. But I'm going to tell you right now, the drum roll, two things. Two things. One thing before I get to my, uh, my particular issue of what if, which ended up being extremely prescient, and ahead of its time as well. But they can't reprint. If you get these volumes, you're not going to get some of the ones that had licensed characters. Shang-Chi was a licensed character at the time because of Fu Manchu. Shang-Chi was a Marvel character, but the villain was Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu was licensed. So there are a couple of Master of Kung Fu issues that cannot be reprinted. But what if number um, 13, I, I, I'm fairly certain that's the... Uh, that 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 is the issue number. I'm going to confirm that. But what if 13 is the comic that when I turned the corner and I I walked into the Foodland because this was again at the Foodland on one of the lower rungs. I'm scanning the the, the the comics. I'm looking. You know what don't I have? What's new? What can I grab? And there it is. There is Conan the Barbarian who has. Very successful. I, I mentioned all of the different spinoffs that Spider-Man and, and, and the Fantastic Four had. You guys, Conan had three dedicated comics, okay? He had King Conan, which is the older Conan, which Arnold Schwarzenegger, you should make that movie now while you can still walk and breathe and talk and your heart is good. Um, We would all see it. That's the one I want. King Conan, okay? Conan has a son. There was the dedicated Conan comic that Marvel had started that, that, that had such, you know, artistic you know, giants, titans, luminaries as Barry Windsor Smith and John Buscema do extended, long extended runs on this book. And Conan was a top seller. It had gotten into the top five of Marvel's comics. That the 70s was the age of the barbarian, baby. We loved it. They were, they licensed him. There was Conan dolls. There was Conan coins. There was Conan posters, Conan peaches. Conan was, it was the age of the barbarian. We loved this guy. We loved this shirtless barbarian. He had three comics, Conan the Barbarian, King Conan and Savage Sword of Conan, which was a monthly 75-page black and white magazine that was on the newsstand alongside the People Magazine, Life Magazine, Newsweek, Sports Illustrated. Because, I mean, they hit a licensing bonanza when it came to the way they depicted uh, Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian. And and, and that is one of the most successful uh, adaptations, Star Wars notwithstanding. I mean, again, there was no giant movie when... 
Marvel took on Conan and published him for over 10, 11, 12 years before Schwarzenegger first appeared. They just did it by making great product and adapting those pulp novels and making these great comics. So obviously I'm going to talk about Conan here. And the issue that can't be reprinted or wasn't at the time couldn't, especially in the 2000s when they're redoing these issues. I turn the corner. There it is on the lower rung. What if? What if number 13? It's got Conan the Barbarian. He is up against the wall of a modern New York building with a modern New York woman who is cowering in fear and there are guns all trained on him. And it was, what if Conan the Barbarian had walked the earth today? Okay? And I was like, hot diggity. That is the most badass imagery that I had ever seen in my life. Like, I literally flipped out. I, I literally... And, and trust me, they, they took this one to the bank, baby. They, 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 they uh, absolutely... Uh, did a sequel to this later on. You know, what if Conan had stayed here? But uh, the 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 Marvel has since, of course, reprinted this because a couple years back they got the rights the rights to Conan back. Now Conan had gone over to Dark Horse in the early two thousands. It was no longer published by uh, Marvel Comics for a long period of time, and the Robert E. Howard estate did a, did an agreement, and the first early Carrie Nord, Kurt Busiek, Conan the Barbarian books came out of the. Sh- came out of the shoot really hot. Dark Horse had something really special in their hands. Conan was there for the better part of a decade. He was with Dark Horse. So they did all sorts of Conan stuff and, and, and brand new Conan adventures. They got some of the limited you know, reprint rights, but it goes back to Marvel. Just like Star Wars went back to Marvel in 2015, here comes Conan. I think they they, they absolutely um, sealed the deal and, and, and announced their new Conan series in 2019. Well... The thing that made me, Rob Liefeld, in my 50s fall off my chair that year in 2019 is that they announced that Conan would be joining a new Avengers team called the Savage Avengers, which would open a portal, making giving access to Conan, joining up with Wolverine, Elektra, Venom, Punisher. Oh my gosh, my head exploded. I could not believe little 12-year Robbie, uh, 11-year-old, because that's when I got what if. Number 13, what if Conan the Barbarian had walked the earth today? Um, I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. What a brilliant, what a brilliant, brilliant ploy to not only get the Conan license again and do Conan in the Hiberian age where he is against wizards and and, and pirates and all sorts of swashbuckling, you know, evil and, 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 and to not just stop there, but pick up on this what if issue that every fan that was my age, and again, this cover by John Buscema, with him up against the wall, trash can. There's a Star Wars poster behind him. The girl is cowering, and there's like gangsters with guns. You see all their hands and all their pistols, and uh, and it says, "At last, the most requested, longest awaited, and most controversial tale ever of the world's most savage hero." And it plays out exactly in the fish fish out of water uh, scenario that you would hoped. And it made you think for one issue that, oh my gosh, what if uh, Conan, you know, walked the modern world? What would that look like? And it looked phenomenal. And it was um, absolutely just uh, just mind-blowing. It was the perfect, the, the absolute perfect uh, mashup where you got modern day and this, and this old school, you know, savage barbarian walking the streets of modern day New York and all again I don't want to blow it for you but it is one hell of a great adventure and it was obviously way ahead of its time in 1978 
it would be the precursor to what happens in 2019 where the portal opens and Thor and Cap <laughs> sorry Conan I'm so excited Conan teams up with Deadpool even he's had adventures with Deadpool um I, I it takes a lot to get me envious but when I saw that Conan and Deadpool I was like uh yes please oh my gosh wish I'd have drawn that wish I'd have conceived of that um again Conan and Venom Conan and Punisher Conan and Elektra okay this savage Avengers where they're battling sorcerers from Conan's age, which necessitates the entire plot and how it connects to the modern day hand that the hand, which is the um, cult of like the, the assassin ninja assassins and their mysticism uh, that Frank Miller introduced in Daredevil. So again, Conan number 13, what if Conan walked the earth today became the template for savage Avengers some 40 years later. You guys, this is crazy. What If is the secret playbook of the Marvel Universe. It gave you Jane Foster as Thor. It gave you Bucky as Cap. It gave you uh, uh, the, the the Bruce Banner in the mind of the Hulk. It gave you uh, uh, the agents of Atlas, okay? And, and 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 Conan walking the earth today. And I've skipped over a bunch. I, I We only have so much time. I got I to gotta focus on, on giving you guys the essentials. But when What If Volume 2 came out, Jim Valentino, my studio mate at the time, you know him from Shadowhawk, uh, Shadowhawk at Image Comics, and you know him from, uh, from from Guardians of the Galaxy, which was the big hit book that he did when, when, when he was doing stuff for Marvel. We were sharing a studio for about a year and a half, and uh, we had been asking the editor of What If if we could possibly pitch a story because Wolverine was off limits to me, John Buscema of Conan fame had been the dedicated penciler the book was bi-weekly they had really leaned heavy into john being the guy and the book was doing extremely well so a guy like myself was on the outside looking in i could not access the wolverine universe so i had to get creative now this is before i take on the new mutants by about nine months and then it's about seven months before i can get wolverine into the new mutants so if i'm going to get access to wolverine outside of the few covers that they had asked me to do I need to come up with a story. Jim Valentino and I kicked around the idea of Wolverine being an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And uh, and it was a really fun story where Nick Fury shows up after Wolverine takes out the Hulk and proposes to him that he come with them and become a dedicated agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. It has Black Widow, Nick Fury, it has Hydra, it has uh, Baron Strucker. It is one of my favorite jobs that I have ever drawn. I put everything I had into it. Jim did the thumbnail layouts. I did the full pencils. That book went to to Marvel in its entirety. It was in the drawer. Um, One of the top inkers of his age, uh, Scott Williams, was in the New York offices looking for extra work to pick up. That's what you did. You visited from Southern California. You looked around. What can I ink? You know, what's there to do? And I got a call from my editor, Craig Anderson, who said, Rob, what would you think about Scott Williams inking you? I had seen Scott inking Punisher over Wills Portacio and Eric Larson. Funny, we'd all be an image together. But uh, Scott was really the dedicated Punisher guy. Uh, and, 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 and I had seen how amazing his slick line polished up Eric Larson as well as Wills Portacio. And I was like, oh my gosh, Scott Williams, that would be fantastic. Scott inked every single page of What If. He inked every single page. It is one of my favorite jobs when it came out. 
it was kind of the you know I, the, the the carryover from the heat that I had on Hawk and Dove. I was able to show people that I can really draw some of your favorite characters and make them look great. And I have a thing for Wolverine. I, I appreciate every one of you. Some of you this week when I showed you a new Wolverine cover on social media were telling me how much you dig my Wolverine. Thank you. That matters to me. I love drawing him. It's special. I try and make make it that when I draw him, it matters. This entire job took on its own kind of fire, its own kind of life. People really dug it. But more importantly, <laughs> this is like 1988, 1989, okay? What happens in, 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 in 2004, 2005? Mark Miller takes over Wolverine with John Romita Jr. Wolverine becomes an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is not the first time he would become an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. He would have ties to S.H.I.E.L.D. throughout the House of M saga. Where did he become an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. first? In What If? number 7 in Volume 2. These books are the primers for almost everything that you're seeing come to light today. It is, again, as if they do the what if and then they go, huh, that's, uh, what if we would, you know, retroactively fit this into here? And and what I've done today in taking you on this journey and telling you how important these what if books are, these are the, these are the cliff notes, they are the crib sheets, they are the secret playbooks that Marvel Comics has used to redefine so much of what they're doing and re-energize uh, and 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 uh, kind of uh, restructure so many of their heroes uh, and, and comic book characters along their line. I mean, I've given you seven to eight examples today, and I could keep going, but there's only so much time that we have together every session, and uh, and and you should definitely go out and seek out the What If catalog. These volumes are great. I am I am I have not checked into it in the same way that I can't speak on authority, which. Writer brought in the Jane Foster, the modern Jane Foster Thor connection, but it was started here, you guys, in 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 What If. That is a badass issue. What if Jane Foster had found the hammer of Thor and takes you through it? That is the first time that concept got pulled out of the garage and taken on the open road. Okay, and 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 now that you know that they are doing this with great regularity. Wolverine is an agent of Shield. Happened in What If first. I know it because I did it. Okay. Uh, these books are amazing. I don't have the authority to tell you that they're on Comics Unlimited or that they're on Comixology, but you should check out. You should try and get them. You should you should um, absorb them because you never know what what if is going to get the treatment next. Because I'm telling you, this is like uh, this is irresistible nectar. Okay, to Marvel Comics, these stories, it's their IP, it's their stories. So why not? I mean, Agents of Atlas really freaked me out when I saw that they were doing that in 2005 slash 2006. I was like, that's that. What if the Avengers in the 50s starring all the same characters? Okay, so so it's cool. They're, they don't hide it, but I don't think anyone's made a direct, you know, drawn a direct line to how much of this. The Clone Wars, Cap, you know, uh, given the shield and the mantle to Bucky, uh, uh, Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner's smart brain being alive and well and, and able to merge with the brutish Green Hulk, okay? Uh, Jane Foster is Thor. Uh, th th I mean, Conan in modern day. Conan is with the Avengers now. This is so cool. If you can't see how big the smile is on my face, it, it, it is, it, I, I am beaming. I love that Conan walks the modern Marvel Universe and, and fulfills the premise of that kick-ass what if 13? Okay. Again, I, uh, uh, I think it's available now. It's not in these collections. If you're going in these collections, seeing that they include like issues 13 and 14, which I believe 14 
is a Shang-Chi book. And then later, I think issue 43 maybe is the follow-up. They did a sequel to that Conan story in the modern day. So I'm not sure if those are available in these. I know they're not available in these collections. They, they did True Believers of them, the reprints, and they should be available uh, digitally online. So you can, you can check that out. As far as the comic book marketplace, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to punt that in next week. Uh, I, I don't have anything currently that I can focus on. I am completely swamped in regards to all the work I'm doing. I am wrapping up Snake Eyes 5 with a big surprise announcement that I hope to be coming at you very soon. Deadpool's 30th anniversary is on its way. Uh, it's in stores, I think, March 10th, the the the, the Nerdy 30. I, I did an extended story in there, uh, some variant covers. I hope you look out for them, check them out. I, I, I think it came out really nice. It's, it's fun to be celebrating Mr. Poole in this way and, 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 and watching him get his due. Uh, it, it really is fun that this 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 um, character marked uh, born out of necessity and born out of invention in order to give Cable kind of a, a, a foil as well as a new face as well as the, 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 the ability to hopefully hold your attention while I now take on the mantle of writer and follow up my, my introduction of Cable with, with a second act that happened to work out extremely well. It's fun to see that this is coming together in the way that it is. Uh, there is, there is one story I would be remiss to, to not share with you. So so the last story I'm going to tell uh, is a what if. And it's one that we never saw. And it's one that torments me to this day. John Byrne tells of this story in The Art of John Byrne, which was released in 1981, the first kind of dedicated art book that I had bought from anyone. I mailed away for it. It has a uh, color marker painting of, 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 of the Avengers and the X-Men and, and uh, John Byrne's robot character, Raj 2000. Uh, and uh, in this is an extensive interview with John. Uh, again, this is his. He is never hotter at the, at this point in 1981, having been in the business by five years. He's transformed the X Men. He's transformed the Avengers. He's the hottest name in comics. He gives this. Uh, he gives this interview, and he lays out a bunch of sketches that you're like, "What is this?" And there's a a drawing of the Beast who has claws coming out of his hands, not like Wolverine's protruding, but they're wrist locks. They have wrist metal wrists that clasp, clasp around him and these giant, even longer, more intimidating than Wolverine's claws. Uh, Angel is drawn in his 1970s red and white costume, but he has an, a sword slung around his waist, a giant fiery sword, and he's called the Archangel. Uh, Cyclops has a different visor. Iron uh, uh, Iceman looks a little different. And John Byrne says his one regret is that he and Chris Claremont didn't get to do what if Magneto had started the X-Men. And he lays out that he was going to draw it. Chris was going to script it. Uh, they were both co-plotting it. And Terry Austin was going to ink it. So it was going to be like a de facto issue of the X-Men, which had uh, Magneto find the mutants first, along with Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, and, and the existing Brotherhood of Evil mutants. And with Cyclops and Beast and Angel and Marvel Girl and Iceman under his sway, Byrne is very cavalier about this. They set about to destroy the Avengers, whom they defeat, Spider-Man, whom they defeat, the Fantastic Four, whom they defeat, and they set up that they are the rulers of the Marvel Universe. Until, with the Fantastic Four dead, Silver Surfer arrives exactly as he did in Stan and Jack's Fantastic Four tale, and there is no Alicia Masters because there is no Ben Grimm because they've killed them. And so there is nothing to stand between Galactus and plead with him and reason with him and come up with the technology as Reed did the ultimate nullifier to defeat Galactus. And so Earth is 
destroyed by Galactus. That's the end. That's the end of the issue. Magneto forms this X-Men. They all have, they're more sinister in their iterations. The Beast looks very kind of Wolverine-ish, which is enough to, you know, get me completely engaged and interested. But the, I love the idea that by asserting his control over everyone and dominating the field and taking out, like John says, nothing could stand against them with Jean Grey and Scarlet Witch and Magneto alone together fighting against these uh, Avengers and Fantastic Four and Spider-Man and all the other characters that they lay waste to them. And they are the rulers of the, of the Marvel Universe and have no defense against Silver Surfer and Galactus when they arrive. Because again, if you read Fantastic Four between Silver Surfer uh, being reasoned to by Ben Grimm's girlfriend, Alicia Masters, and buying Reed enough time to create the ultimate nullifier, that is what took out and, uh, and, 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 and mitigated the threat of Galactus. So without that, Galactus destroys the Marvel Universe. It is phenomenal! It is the what-if of my dreams. Peak John Byrne, peak Terry Austin, peak Chris Claremont. These, these are in their peak performance stage. When he says, we just never got a chance to get this, and I regret it. And he's got the penciled sketches of all of these characters. And it haunts me to this day. Because What If was a, a, a fantastic outlet for stories, alternate realities, just like this. So now I have shared with you what may be the same pain that I'm experiencing. Because when I talk about it, my sides hurt. I want that comic so bad. I am currently devising how to get back to 1977 myself. Someday when I do, and I absolutely, absolutely make that leap and time travel, I will set, um, I will write all the wrongs, and that will be one of the ones that I make sure gets penciled before John quits the X-Men. What if the X-Men, what if Magneto had formed the X-Men is the greatest unpublished Marvel comic story that I have ever heard of. I have now shared it with you. You guys, what if, look into it, buy it. There, there's templates all over for what is going on in the Marvel, in the modern Marvel Universe, the modern Marvel Universe. I love sharing it with you guys. This is the secret playbook. It could be one of these, could be what, what, what comes next. I skipped 40 to 50 of these what-ifs to get to the essentials, okay? Because, you know, I could be here for hours, and we don't want that. We have, we have lives to lead, and, and, and I, have, I, 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 I have to let go of this microphone at some point. You guys check into what-if, look and see where you can get them, whether they're back issues, if they're affordable, or they're on Comics Unlimited. If they're on um, uh, Comixology, you can get these great trades. Ch hit up your retailer. Uh, I love the physical copies. That's my preference, as always. You guys, thank you for another great hang. Please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, at Robert Liefeld. I'm on Instagram, at Rob Liefeld. Just Rob Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram, and at Robert Longform on Twitter. I've got blue checks next to those names. You know you're really talking to me. I'm all over social media. Hit me up on Facebook. Talk to me. Reach out. I love hearing from you guys. Thank you for spreading the word. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for subscribing, for downloading, for doing all of the podcasty things, for um, showing up and listening to each and every one of my therapeutic sessions. I love the comic books, kids. I love them so much. You do me a favor and take care of yourself because we're going to hang again, okay? And, uh, and and be good, and we will talk again real soon.